0: Brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey. By two ways, one Passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. As always, a handful of stuff we're going to get into today in the world of baseball sports and unifying America. First of all, pardon the appearance a little bit. I didn't even throw up the banner today. We're, we're full-blown renovation mode here at the PBS studio. So I can't wait to show... What the studio is going to look like once it's all finished But unfortunately there's still some work that's got to be done Uh, Amongst some things we're going to get into today I want to mention every Hall of Famer That played, coached, managed Or was in the front office for the New York Mets at some point I want to talk about every single quarterback that was drafted In the same draft as Tom Brady before him Want to talk about my, Marty Schottenheimer? I want to talk about Otto Graham. But first, be remiss if I didn't talk about the Streaker from the Super Bowl. And I think it's a, a dream scenario, a hilarious scenario, one in which, if it was true, every single one of us—or you know what—I'd say at least 50 percent of us would wish it was that—to go out there and place a $50,000 prop bet. On there being a streaker in the Super Bowl. And to back it up and say, you know what? I'm going to make sure that happens because I'm going to be the streaker. Now, on paper, it sounds like a dream scenario. On paper, it sounds like it's something almost too good to be true. And the reality is, it probably is. Because whether you talk about any casino, any online betting service, it's very hard to expect them to accept a $50,000 bet on something like that. And understand there's a difference between the coin toss, which is likely a 50-50 chance, or if you did it 100 times, it would be you know kind of close, but not exactly 50-50. You're going to bet on how many points are scored in a game. You're going to bet on who's going to score the first touchdown. You're going to bet on how many passing yards Patrick Mahomes is going to have. Those are all things that are not controlled by the better. We're talking about a streaker. We understand that that's that same better. That's betting whether Patrick Mahomes is going to throw for 300 yards or more is going to bet whether somebody is stupid, goofy, and crazy enough to take their clothes off and run out onto the field during the middle of the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, that's humanly controlled. You can have some firsthand information there. And not even the fact that if if this guy bet on himself, this guy could have bet on somebody he knew. You know, why, why didn't he have somebody else do it? Or why didn't somebody else bet knowing that it was going to be him? That's information that kind of gets passed through to public pretty quick. Now, the fact that he was able to keep it under wraps, he was able to keep it a secret for so long, you know, up until he gets arrested, number one, either looks like it's a great plan, or number two, you know, you start to cast a little doubt on it. And I'm waiting to see. Is there a place that cashed out, you know, three hundred forty seven thousand dollars or whatever he would have won had he bet fifty thousand dollars on it? It's one thing to bet a hundred. It's one thing to bet five hundred if you know you have that money to spare. But to bet fifty thousand dollars on somebody shrieking in the middle of the Super Bowl, you either got he either got a ton of money and can't wait to throw it away, or you got some skin in the game. And that's what happens when we think about sports betting. You wonder how people can manipulate the system to get themselves more of a sure thing. And you know that's gonna be something that is going to be thought about. How do you impact the players? Do agents bet, can you find out that agents bet? Somebody that has some firsthand information when it comes to somebody's injury could have an upper hand in a bet. And what you ask when it comes to any bet, whether you're betting whether or not my show is gonna succeed over the next 10 years, whether you're placing a bet over whether I'm gonna become a household name within a year, You want to know that that bet is being made on a level. That you can say, hey, I'm using this information to see why I would bet this way, but you know what? It very well may not happen. And what this person allegedly did, and I'd say allegedly because you you can make it out to be a criminal thing. The guy was arrested. The guy... Was charged for trespassing, he was treated while he was under arrest as if he was a criminal So this this person at the end decides to say, yeah, I put a bet on myself Which sounds great, like I said, everybody, how many different people from the outside are like, wow, I wish I would have thought of that How many of them would have had $50,000 to bet on themselves I wouldn't have $50,000 to put down I could get as much as I could But I couldn't cover 50 grand I got some doubts And until this bet gets cashed out Which by the way Now that all the information has become public uh, I'm sure if there is a bet put in there I think they would dispute Whether they should pay this person out What you want If you're placing a bet on something and it goes down to the 1919 Black Sox, it goes back to all the fixed fights from before that in the 1800s and the early 20th century, you just want to know that what you're betting on is on a level. You don't want to bet on a fixed fight because you don't feel like it's fair. If you're on the right side, good. Something still doesn't feel right about it. So, amongst things I was thinking about with the Super Bowl, you know, it's not uncommon information. We know about Tom Brady being a a sixth-round quarterback, taking 199th overall. And what you could say about that draft is really outside of Tom Brady, it wasn't a quarterback-heavy draft. And you think about the drafts over the last 10 years, the last 15 years— There's so much emphasis on a quarterback. In fact, there's too much emphasis put on the quarterback to a point where teams are willing to make a mistake. Now, you could say Mitch Trubisky still has a chance to become something, but the Bears thought enough that they would trade a series of picks to move up to the number two spot in the draft so they can grab Mitch Trubisky. Guy's going to be the franchise quarterback. Well, to this point, it hasn't worked out. Is this future in Chicago? Is this future somewhere else? Can he all of a sudden put it together? I don't know. I mean, if you look at the developments of Josh Allen over the last year, and I know Trubisky's a little bit older, I mean, at least there's some precedence that that could happen. But the bottom line is the quarterback is always going to be looked at as the franchise for the future. You get the right quarterback, you have a chance to win in the NFL for five to ten years. You know, the Texans with Deshaun Watson are holding on to a piece that you know, you think about half the league would want to acquire. A top quarterback that can lead your squad for years upon years in a franchise where he's not happy. So you understand why there's a lot of teams that would love to have Deshaun John Watson. But you think about the value of the quarterback position, but in The 1999 draft The first quarterback didn't get taken Until the 18th pick overall And that was Chad Pennington By the New York Jets Another quarterback didn't go until The third round, the 65th pick And that was Gino Carmazzi He went to the San Francisco 49ers Chris Redman Went number 75 overall in the third round To the Baltimore Ravens T. Martin Remember him? A lot of good football fans don't, but I vaguely remember T. Martin. Was selected by the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 5th round, 163rd pick. Mark Bulger had a little bit of a career in the NFL, some success. 6th round, number 168 to the New Orleans Saints. There's a guy by the name of Wynn. Went to Cleveland. 6th round, 183rd pick. And then, there's Tom Brady out of Michigan, sitting there in a the sixth round, 199th overall pick. And who would have thought when he was selected that he was going to be the greatest quarterback, perhaps the greatest player in the National Football League history. The only player, let alone quarterback, to win seven Super Bowls. One of two quarterbacks in the history of the sport to lead two different teams to a Super Bowl championship. And by the way, Just one out of four quarterbacks To play in a Super Bowl For two different teams Outside of Peyton Manning Who you know won with the Colts and the Broncos Kurt Warner played And won with the Rams And lost with the Arizona Cardinals And Craig Morton Played for the Cowboys And for the Broncos in the Super Bowl So only four quarterbacks have played For two different teams in a Super Bowl So you think about That type of Value, And there isn't a more valuable pick in the history of the NFL draft. You know, you think of Mike Piazza being taken in the 63rd round by the Dodgers as a favorite of Tommy Lasorda, becoming a Hall of Fame player. And you wonder, you know, if you look at the, the playing situation, how it was Devied up in the University of Michigan. Tom Brady wasn't playing all the time. Drew Henson was there. Some people said that they thought that Drew Henson maybe was the more talented quarterback. Even in Michigan, they thought that maybe Drew Henson was the more talented quarterback. So, I get it. If you're a fan of uh, another team in the AFC East and watch Tom Brady beat you for so many years, a Jets, Bills, Dolphins fan probably would not be 100%. Of a Tom Brady supporter or fan. But I'll tell you, I, I appreciate greatness. I appreciate dominance. And I love that this quarterback, after a down season with the New England Patriots, can pick up and leave, go to another city, get a little help, sure. They catered that offense to Tom Brady. Tom Brady called the plays. They brought in the type of weapons that Tom Brady had been seeking in New England for years. But Tom Brady still had to go out there and perform. And he had a, a very good year, a much better year than he had in his last year in New England. His arm strength was still there. Obviously, the weapons, you know, you got Mike Evans, you got Chris Godwin, you bring in Antonio Brown, you got Cameron Brait and Rob Gronkowski, Ronald Jones, and Leonard Fournette. And, hey, not a bad offensive line. He had the weapons, but he still had to go out there and perform. This wasn't like the Broncos when Peyton Manning won the Super Bowl. They weren't carried by their defense, even though the Tampa Bay defense was a major reason they won this game. They went out there and they attacked. They beat up the Kansas City offensive line. They had Patrick Mahomes on the run every time he snapped the ball and dropped back to pass. That being said, it wasn't like it was a defensive uh, effort with Tom Brady not having to do anything. Tom Brady saw to go down the field, made several big throws, threw some touchdowns. Tom Brady looked great. And how could you not, as a sports fan, certainly as a historian, as somebody that's followed sports for so many years it takes pride in it, you've got to love the fact that somebody has been able to dominate a sport in the salary cap era. We know that it's just about impossible to maintain the same team in an actual football league for you know multiple seasons, especially when you get to three, four, five, six. So what's the common denominator that he said for so many years was working for the New England Patriots? It was the coach and the quarterback. And you were giving the coach slash general manager a little more credit for this reason. You were giving this guy credit because he was the one assembling all those other players around the quarterback. The only one constant throughout this whole thing was the quarterback. Everybody else, all the other offensive linemen, defensive linemen, secondary, running backs, skill players, receivers, even kickers and punters are switched out over the course of 20 years. Bill Belichick's calling the shots. Tom Brady's the quarterback. Those were the only constants. Brady leaves, goes to Tampa Bay, and he's able to win another Super Bowl. And I said this on Twitter. It was like if Michael Jordan... After he came out of retirement for the second time. Had won an NBA championship with the Washington Wizards. That's the kind of comparison we've been making. You talk about Michael Jordan maybe being the greatest goat of all time. And obviously it's a little bit of a run-on sentence. Greatest of all time of all time. But imagine if he won somewhere else. And here's another one I'll throw at you. Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth won Four World Series championships, right? Three seven, eight, I'm sorry. Three World Series championships with the Boston Red Sox, four with the New York Yankees. Let's say Babe Ruth would have gone to the Boston Braves in 1935, and unfortunately he didn't have anything left. Similar to Jordan, you know, Jordan had a little more to offer than Babe Ruth, but Babe Ruth was, by that point, an overweight, almost liability at that stage of his life. We know he only had about 12 years, 13 years left to live. He digressed, he wasn't the same player, and you know that he was obsessed with wanting to be a manager. His post-playing career, he said, hey, all the great ones end up becoming a manager. Well, the Yankees didn't want that. The Boston Braves said, hey, maybe, we'll give you some decision-making power behind the bench, maybe assistant manager to Bill McKechnie, who I believe was the manager at the time. And Babe Ruth Looked like he was an old timer He couldn't play anymore But had Babe Ruth Been at the top of his game Carried the Boston Braves And they won the World Series in 1935 As opposed to the Detroit Tigers Who ended up winning Which by the way they beat the Chicago Cubs Then that's the kind of feat That Tom Brady accomplished Winning the Super Bowl For the Tampa Bay Buccaneers This past Sunday Imagine Jordan Winning championship number seven with the Washington Wizards. Imagine Babe Ruth winning World Series number eight with the Boston Braves. That's what Tom Brady did with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning his seventh Super Bowl. So staying along the lines of football. I think of some of the more underrated players, coaches, coaches all need to be spoken about because you know sometimes your last chance to really talk about somebody's memory is in their passing and of course we lost marty schottenheimer the legendary football coach and maybe some people don't even think that he's legendary but i got a coach for 21 years coached for the browns coached for the kansas city chiefs and of course the san diego chargers And A Washington Post with a lousy headline. Probably some bitter Washington Redskins fan says, insinuates how he couldn't win the big one. Teams wilt in the in the biggest stage, or whatever he implied. Marty Schottenheimer coached in the National Football League for 21 years. He had two losing seasons: a seven and nine season with the Chiefs, which turned out to be his last year, and then in 2003 the San Diego Chargers were 4-12. and 12. So 19 of his 21 seasons, he had a 500 record or better. His last season as the head coach of the San Diego Chargers, they were 14-2. and two. And you want to say, hey, he was good enough to be a bridesmaid, but never to bride, never got to a Super Bowl. And you can think of some great head coaches that never got that opportunity either. But a 631 winning percentage, only 30 coaches in the history of the National Football League had a higher winning percentage. And you're talking about John Harbaugh who's on that list, Bill Belichick's on that list, Jim Harbaugh is on that list. So, you know, you could talk about some all-time greats, but also some that may have you scratch your head a little bit. But Marty Schottenheimer had a 631 winning percentage as an NFL head coach. And I think that's Hall of Fame worthy. You talk about the watered-down Hall of Fame in pro football in regards to it. There's a possibility that Marty Schottenheimer gets into the Hall of Fame someday. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Great job by the Pro Football Hall of Fame to put Tom Flores in. Got one, two Super Bowls for the Raiders. Maybe a little bit of a campaign that was out there. What was that? Miller Lite? Get Tom Flores into the Hall of Fame? Maybe it worked. Am I going to be going nuts to try to get Marty Schottenheimer in the Hall of Fame? No. But I think he was a, a an underrated head coach. And if you had a coach like that for 21 years for three teams, I think you'd want to put your towel in a ring to have him coach my team. And, of course, a lot of people think of Marty Schottenheimer and they think of Eminem's lyrics, cursing at your players worse than Marty Schottenheimer. When I thought about Tom Brady and his accomplishment, seventh Super Bowl, it's easy to say that it's something that has never been done, never will be done. But we know about the major line of demarcation that exists when it comes to the history of the National Football League. And you know that goes from 1966 to 1967, football as it existed prior to the first Super Bowl. There's actually some modern day fans that believe that football started in 1967 with Super Bowl I. When they say Super Bowl 55, they think of 55 years of football history. We know about the NFL, which goes back to the days of 1920 in some variation, shape, or form of it, the AFL that started in 1960. Some other competitive football leagues like the uh, the All-American Football Conference, which existed from 1946 to 1949, which, by the way, the Cleveland Browns won that league all four seasons. And the reason I say that is because their legendary head coach, Paul Brown, one of the greatest of all time. He also had a quarterback by the name of Otto Graham. And Otto Graham doesn't get spoken enough about when it comes to the great quarterbacks in the history of the league. Otto Graham was the quarterback, like I said, of the Cleveland Browns, which were named after the coach, Paul Brown, for all four years of the All-American Football Conference. The Browns end up going into the National Football League. They win three more championships. So that means Otto Graham, in the 10 years that he played in the National Football League, won seven championships, four AAFC championships Three NFL championships Bart Starr Two Super Bowls Three NFL championships Those two quarterbacks And particularly Graham Don't get anywhere near the amount of respect That they deserve Do you want to equate What Otto Graham did To what Tom Brady did It's easy to live in a now And say that it's a lot harder to do it now You got to go through a series of playoffs. Tom Brady had to play four postseason games, plus 16 regular season games. This year with the pandemic, so you could say what he accomplished, obviously he defied the odds a lot more than Otto Graham did by just finishing in a four-team league, number one. And obviously the NFL, not that many teams in most cases, There were two games You're talking about one playoff game The NFL championship You could say it was a little bit easier But if it was so easy How come The great quarterbacks before and after Otto Graham didn't do it How come Otto Graham stands out by himself There's Otto Graham A little space and then there's Bart Starr And then there's nobody else Nobody else dominated a sport Like Otto Graham Until Tom Brady but you don't hear or see The universal Discussion about anybody Being in Tom Brady's league Like I said I said Michael Jordan If he won a 7th championship with the Washington Wizards, Babe Ruth if he won An 8th World Series with the Boston Braves I Graham won 7 championships At a different time But that's not his fault The last two things we're going to hit up. I'm going to do the last football-related one, and this will be an easy. 55 Super Bowls. Do you know that there has been a duplicate final score? In other words, two Super Bowls with the same final score, just three times. I think that's pretty amazing. That's basically, you take away those six games, and that means that there have been... 52 different scores in 55 games. The first duplicate was first the Dallas Cowboys over the Denver Broncos in Super Bowl 12. Then the Oakland Raiders over the Philadelphia Eagles in Super Bowl 25, and that score was 27 to 10. The next one was the Washington Redskins over the Miami Dolphins. It can't be Super Bowl 12 Super Bowl 13 maybe I don't know Whatever I, I got it wrong But Then the Dallas Cowboys Over the Pittsburgh Steelers In Super Bowl 30 By the score of 27 to 17 And then the next duplicate score In Super Bowl 10 Or Super Bowl 20 I'm sorry No it is 10 The Pittsburgh Steelers Over the Dallas Cowboys 21 to 17 and then he got the New York football giants over the New England Patriots in Super Bowl, what is it, 50, 40, I don't know, 46, 21 to 17. I find that pretty fascinating. Three duplicate scores in 55 games. And they're all kind of around the same, 27-10, 27-17, 21-17. Didn't hear that brought up once in regards to any of the Super Bowl coverage this year. So the last thing I figured I'd entertain you with. And this is the Pass Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Iwish's Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. By two ways, one passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So the Mets have a handful of players, coaches, executives, managers that are in a baseball hall of fame. And what the majority of them have in common is they were Hall of Fame worthy outside of anything they did with the New York Mets. And you could start out with Rogers Hornsby, who was on Casey Stengel's coaching staff. Both of them are in the Hall of Fame, you know, Casey, because of his reign as the manager of the New York Yankees and Rogers Hornsby being one of the greatest hitters of all time for the Cardinals and the Giants and the Braves and the Cubs and the St. Louis Browns. Obviously, they didn't do anything with the Mets, but they're in the Hall of Fame and they had some ties to the New York Mets. Same thing with Joe Torre. His first taste of major league manager experience came with the New York Mets, but he's in the Hall of Fame because of what he did for the New York Yankees in the late 90s, winning four World Series championships in five years. George Weiss, the longtime Yankees executive. He's in the Hall of Fame because he's a Yankees executive. Also helped was Influential in baseball Coming back to New York City With the Mets He was involved with the Mets He wasn't a Hall of Fame executive with the Mets And then you think of players Such as Yogi Berra and Warren Spahn And Willie Mays and Duke Snyder And Nolan Ryan And Roberto Alomar and Ricky Henderson And Eddie Murray And Pedro Martinez Tom Glavin actually had some Decent seasons with the Mets He's a Hall of Famer with the Braves, though. We know that. So when it comes down to it, the only Mets that are in the Hall of Fame that had significant contributions with the Mets were Tom Seaver, Mike Piazza, and Gary Carter. Now, Gary Carter went in to the Hall of Fame with a Montreal Expos cap. And that's fine. Doesn't take anything away from anything he did with the Mets, but he, was more of a Hall of Famer with the Expos But was a very Important character and important player On the Mets 1986 World Series Championship Team In fact was very influential in the Mets kind of turning the corner From 1985 to 1988 We go back at a time and you wonder Why the Mets didn't win anymore A lot of reasons But the bottom line is they didn't Gary Carter was a great man I thought Tom Glavin Underrated man you think of his first game in 2003 where the Cubs beat him up. It was I think it was like 15-2 to two was the score. I remember I was at that game. I was also at his last game in 2007 watching him get blown out in the first inning by the Miami Marlins when the Mets blew the seven-game lead with 17 games to go and ended up on the outside looking in when it came to the postseason. But outside of that, Tom Glavin had some good years with the Mets. He was there for five years. He won Uh, A lot more games than he lost Was A big factor in that team Kind of turning the corner Pedro Martinez Not so much on the field He had a good 2006 season But outside of that Never really got close to the level That he was with With the Boston Red Sox And the Montreal Expos You know he's in the Hall of Fame For what he did with the Red Sox and maybe a little bit in his last couple years with Montreal, but you put his Mets career aside, and he's not he's not a Hall of Famer but, you know, from what he did with the Mets. You think of another Hall of Famer, the great Ralph Kiner, one of the top one hundred offensive position players of all time. Seven years in a major league, seven home run titles. You know about his back problems that forced him to retire early. Window to broadcast booth. Stayed with the Mets broadcasting games until his death He's always going to be remembered as a Met Maybe not a Mets uniform But a Mets microphone You'll see that microphone at Citi Field hopefully forever Ralph Kiner, great baseball player Ralph Kiner, Hall of Famer Not so much with the Mets as a player He never played for the Mets He's a broadcaster, Hall of Fame broadcaster, absolutely generations of Mets fans are going to remember Ralph Kiner. Maybe more generations of Mets fans that will remember Ralph Kiner as a Mets broadcaster than as a Pirates player. I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. Once again, Passball Show brought to you by JohnPale.com, by St. Always Church in Jackson, New Jersey by Two Ways, One Passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Once again, pardon the appearance. I didn't put the banner up today. Maybe we'll do it Saturday. PBS is available on Apple Music, Spotify, as well as Amazon Music. You could also check out my YouTube channel. Just search John Pielli, SoundCloud, same thing. Twitter, same thing. Every Thursday, every Saturday throughout the month, uh, throughout the year of 2021. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.